In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. 2020 has been quite a year, hasn't it? I know that the year is far from over, but in so many ways, these past six months have felt like a lifetime. Much has been lost in not being able to see one another. 2020 has been difficult in part because of the revelatory work that God has been doing in our hearts and minds, shattering the person we thought we were. As Deacon Rob mentioned last week in his sermon, in quoting Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I believe that this shattering extends beyond our false selves, and it goes to our church, our communities, and even to our nation. If we can muster up the courage to let our guard down and critically look around us, we will see that we were not really who we thought we were. Or perhaps a better way of putting it, we never were the whitewashed version of who we wanted to be. While COVID has been spreading throughout the globe, causing untold damage and loss of life, suffering has also been rampant. And those people who have always been on the fringes of society, hanging on for life itself, are especially feeling its cruel sting. I could spend the morning itemizing all of the injustice and suffering that I've seen or read about. I will attempt instead to share some of what God has been revealing in my life and what I've been learning about justice and what it means to love my neighbor in these unprecedented times. All of our readings today from our lectionary involve themes of justice versus injustice, righteousness versus wickedness, God's redemption or God's judgment of his people. If we are being honest with ourselves, these are uncomfortable topics to discuss because we may not like what we discover before I go into our text, it's worth defining the terms justice and injustice. Joseph Pieper in his book on virtues and vices, which you might remember if you were with us a few years ago from catechesis, speaks of justice as being the notion that each person should be given what he or she is entitled to according to God's standards. Martin Luther King Jr. says it this way, justice is love correcting that which revolts against love. Injustice, then, is when people are not given what they are entitled to hand, what they are entitled to have by God's standards. Injustice treats some people as being less valuable in the eyes of God, or in some extreme cases, as being less than human. Accepting injustice can lead to a disordered understanding of humanity, which would result in oppression, violence, hatred, and even death. In this understanding, a disordered understanding of humanity leads to injustice, which leads to wickedness, which if left unchecked, will lead to God's ultimate judgment. Lord, have mercy. In our reading from Jeremiah, we see Jeremiah both defending his righteousness, his choice to live a life in obedience, following God's commands, and yet he still finds himself suffering. This suffering causes Jeremiah to doubt God. In verse 18, why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? 
Haven't we all felt like that at some point in time? Jeremiah continues, truly, you are to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail. Now to my ears, this sounds like Jeremiah feels let down by God, disappointed, or maybe even abandoned. Jeremiah's description of God as a deceitful brook is most startling in contrast to God's own description of himself as being a spring of living water in Jeremiah 2. So which description of God is accurate? Is it that he is in fact a deceitful brook whose waters always disappoint? Or is he the spring of living water? Well, we have to go with God's self-description, right? But is there not also truth in the way that Jeremiah describes his feelings when he is suffering? The truth is, in this broken world, all of us are guaranteed to suffer and feel pain. The truth is that living righteously does not protect us from oppression, from illness, from rejection, from suffering. What's more disconcerting is that even though we may be a follower of Christ, we may become so spiritually blind that we inflict pain and suffering to others while still believing that we are acting in a just way. What is revealed here in this passage is Jeremiah's belief that he deserves something more than what he is receiving from God and that others, less worthy than he, have received from God. Mercifully, God's righteousness and love for Jeremiah provides a way for him to come back into right relationship with him. Jeremiah is called to repent and to return. And in return, God promises to deliver him from the hand of the wicked and the grasp of the ruthless. Now this can get a little confusing. How do we know who is righteous and who is wicked? Aren't prophets the mouthpiece of God? Was Jeremiah not righteous? The answer, unfortunately is as complicated as the human heart. We are a broken people. We are made in God's image, but we are marred by original sin, and all too often we act in a way that reflects our brokenness instead of God's goodness. But those of us who have given our lives to Christ have a different way to live given to us. We can choose to live into this new life in Jesus and pursue lives of justice and righteousness. It will, however, require discernment to determine what our actions are revealing and whether or not we are acting out of our own brokenness. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, one of the sure signs of maturity is the ability to rise to the point of self-criticism. We must learn to be spiritually mature. In Psalm 26, David boldly asks the Lord to test his heart and mind, to verify that he is indeed living righteously and in step with God. I believe that this is not just a song extolling his own personal righteousness, but this is an example of David trying to ask God to help in determining if he is walking the walk with the Lord. Taken in this light, it's not boastful, but it's a hopeful model of how to come to God, seeking wisdom, seeking discernment for our actions. Paul also speaks about living with integrity in Romans 12, as we heard this morning. Verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
living with integrity, righteous and just living, is in actuality the model of spiritual worship. Failure to live with integrity, to act unjustly, to tacitly or actively oppress one another, to turn a blind eye to suffering, these things get in the way of our being able to worship in the fullness of our being. Whenever we find ourselves in this place, we are walking in our spiritual ancestors' footsteps of Isaiah 29, where God says this about his people. These people draw near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Paul continues to exhort the Romans to not think of yourself more highly than you ought as a way to encourage just living in this new body of Christ so that the spiritual unity that comes from the Lord may be revealed. Unity, not uniformity. Unity. This is God's vision for his people, different people with different gifts of equal worth yet united as one body in Christ, serving the world. It is a glorious foretaste of the kingdom to come. Yet too often we forget that we belong to each other, and we seek to protect what we think ought to be ours by right, and it is a slippery and insidious slope that more often than not ends up with us intentionally harming our brothers and sisters. Whenever we realize that we have taken advantage of others, whenever we realize that we have wronged somebody, whenever we realize that we have caused harm, sometimes beyond repair, we ought to drop to our knees and repent, asking for their forgiveness and for the Lord's. This strange reality of striving to live righteously but failing miserably is not new. We can see it in our gospel reading for today as well. We entered back into the story of Jesus and his disciples, and Jesus is trying to prepare them for the harsh reality of his forthcoming suffering and death. And predictably, Peter takes Jesus aside to talk some sense into him. And as we all heard, this did not go as planned for Peter, as he became on the receiving end of what is arguably Jesus' harshest rebuke. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block for me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. That stings. Martin Hengel in his book Crucifixion says it this way. In the course of a few moments, Peter went from being the mouthpiece of God to a tool of Satan because he could not connect vicarious suffering with God's revelation. What Peter was unable to see was that Jesus' victory was to come, in fact, through suffering. Now, since that time, other faithful followers of Jesus have understood that sacrificial suffering and even death are the very footsteps that we all must follow if we are to emulate Jesus in this world. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. It's certain that Martin Luther King Jr., who I've quoted several times, agreed with him and actively lived in a way that revealed this truth and preached in a way that revealed this truth. This is the exact point that Jesus is trying to teach his disciples. Laying down your life for your friends, for your neighbors, is the heart of what it means to truly love them. You cannot love your life or your rights or your privilege or your security 
or your job or your home more than you want your neighbors flourishing without failing to love them the way that Christ loves us all. Sacrificial love requires sacrifice. We all must be willing to give up anything that gets in the way of another's well-being. It is a popular saying, but it still rings true. Equality feels like oppression when you are privileged. So how does this tie into what I've been learning? Well, it ties into the words that Jesus places in front of his disciples. What am I being called to lay down so that I can take up my cross? Injustice takes many forms, but I'll share with you one that has been convicting me. As many of you know, over the summer, I led two book groups through James H. Cohn's book, The Cross and the Lynching Tree. As is true for many, the Lord used Cohn's work to open my eyes to the pervasive and unjust treatment of our black brothers and sisters at the hands of their white neighbors. It was gripping. It was haunting. It was humbling. But it was transformative. The book opened my eyes and has started to turn the hard parts of my own heart to tender compassion. Cone masterfully shows just how prevalent injustice and racism have been and continue to be. He chronicles the racism wielded against our brothers and sisters throughout this nation's history and until the present day. Black brothers and sisters, their humanity has been denigrated and valued less than mine. I read about the poisonous fear that masks internalized hate, which keeps brother from brother, sister from sister, separated from one another. It is a mercy to see it, but it is a severe mercy. Because we are familiar with Jesus' suffering on the cross and his outrageous love for us, we must recognize the echoes of Jesus in the black bodies bloodied and beaten or hushed for declaring that their lives matter, as if it could possibly be a controversial statement in any just world. This quote from James Cone sums it up nicely. The cross places God in the midst of crucified people, in the midst of people who are hung, shot, burned, and tortured. God is with all of those who suffer. He always has been and he always will. Because I know Jesus, because I know that he died for you, and he died for me, and he died for countless others, I cannot remain disengaged when people whom he loves suffer and die senselessly for the color of their skin. God is merciful, yes, but God is also just, and he is the God of truth. The Psalms say that he is always near to those who are oppressed. And if that's where God is, then that's where I want to be too. If while listening to this sermon, you think that I've become disenchanted by our country and the current state of the world, I have to say that you're right. I still love this place. But a far more value to me is my true home, my spiritual home, the kingdom of God and a renewed heaven and a renewed earth. My soul cries out for a place not yet fully realized, a place that seems tantalizingly close and at other times desperately far away. A kingdom where racism, oppression, suffering, injustice, pain, and loss, 
and thank God even death itself are no more. A kingdom where a multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language stand together, united at last in worship of the Lamb. I love that kingdom. That kingdom. It's the only one that really matters. It's the source of all of our hope and all of our futures, yours and mine. We belong to each other because we belong to him. Let us strive to act accordingly, repent when we fail, and ultimately, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. May it be, Lord. Amen.